to Proper Charlie, the weekly podcast by me, Charlie Murray. It's all about my thoughts on the last seven days. There's music, people I've seen, literature, and so much more. It's time to share Proper Charlie's thoughts with you. So, welcome along and enjoy the next 30 minutes with me, a right proper Charlie. goodness I can't believe that another week has flown by so quickly here I am once again to talk you through my weekly musical journey I've been listening to a lot of Richard Thompson this week as in a couple of weeks I'm going to see him in concert with my best friend and I'm so unbelievably excited it's funny I often wrongly assume that because I have spent the last 11 years writing about music for a living that I know a lot about music, especially when it comes to my favourite genres. And yet, every now and then, an artist is brought to my attention that makes me think, how on earth have I missed this? Richard Thompson is a classic example of this. For some unknown reason, I'd made it through 26 years of life without consciously listening to any music by Richard Thompson. With the exception of Fairport Convention, of course. Imagine that. I certainly can't. I really don't have the slightest idea how that happened. It wasn't until my best friend and I were having dinner last year that I discovered Richard Thompson's music. He was telling me about two of his favourite songs, Persuasion and Beeswing. I hunted the songs down on Spotify and my love affair began. Both of those songs just so happen to appear on the wonderful album that I want to talk to you all about today, Acoustic Classics by Richard Thompson. Just in case any of you out there have been living under the same rock that I was living under for all of those years, let me fill you in. Richard Thompson is an English singer, songwriter and guitar player. He is a founding member of Fairport Convention, which makes it all the more ridiculous that I hadn't heard of him. And he's played with incredible singers and musicians, such as Paul Simon and Joan Baez, to name just two. In fact, there is an incredible video, which I'm sure you can find online somewhere, of the three of them performing The Boxer, together at the Joan Baez 75th birthday concert. Acoustic Classics is the 15th solo studio album by Richard Thompson, released in 2014 on Beeswing Records. It features acoustic covers of classic songs from Richard Thompson's back catalogue, including songs from his time as part of the folk rock duo Richard and Linda Thompson. This is a truly beautiful album, with so many incredible songs on it, I don't really know where to start with telling you about them. Richard Thompson is a truly beautiful wordsmith, and I'm incredibly happy that my best friend introduced me to his music. Beeswing, which I mentioned earlier as being one of my best friend's favourite songs, is now also one of mine, because it has some of the most stunningly beautiful lyrics ever written. She was a rare thing, fine as a beeswing, so fine a breath of wind might blow her away. How beautiful is that? Fine as a beeswing, Oh, I fell in love with this song as soon as I heard it, 
because those are just some of the most amazing lyrics ever. Another song I love is From Galway to Graceland. It's the story of a mentally ill woman who leaves her husband and home in Galway to fly to Graceland to sit beside the graveside of Elvis, her sweetheart, and how she gets moved on each and every day thereafter. The song is written and sung in such a way that it's just an incredibly captivating story. To be with her sweetheart, oh, she left everything, from Galway to Graceland to be with the king. This entire album is a masterpiece that makes me wonder more and more each time I listen to it, how I managed to go 26 years without knowingly encountering such incredible music. I can't believe that I get to see him live in a few weeks, with the very man that introduced me to his music last year. I'm a sentimental person, and whenever possible, if I get the chance to see musicians or bands with the person that introduced me to their music, then I love to do that. That leads me on nicely to the next album that I wanted to talk to you about this week, Desperado by The Eagles. I was introduced to The Eagles by my dad when I was a little girl. I have so many memories of him standing in the kitchen in France when I'd be visiting him, cooking dinner and singing along to one of his many Eagle albums. In 2014, I was lucky enough to see The Eagles in Liverpool with my dad and it was one of the best concerts that I've ever been to. And, as I said, being there with the man that introduced me to their music was a very sentimental thing for me. We were lucky enough to see the band with Glenn Frey before his sad passing in 2016, and I'm thankful for that. The Eagles have been around since the 1970s. Desperado is their second studio album, released in 1972 on Asylum. This album features some of the most beautiful songs ever written by the Eagles, including Tequila Sunrise, which, when they performed it in 2014, they did so in front of a massive projection of a sunrise, which really enhanced the beauty of the song, even more than I thought possible. I was really disappointed that the Eagles don't allow you to take photographs or videos at their shows, because I would have loved to have captured that sunrise. What are your thoughts on not being allowed to take photographs at gigs? I see why bands do it to protect from copyright and illegal distribution of their performances, but at the same time I disagree with it because sometimes you just want to capture a memory such as the Eagles performing Tequila Sunrise in front of that amazing backdrop so that you can treasure it forever. I'd never seen anything like it before. There were people patrolling up and down the aisles in that arena, stopping anyone that looked like they might be doing anything with a phone or with a camera. And in one instance, I actually saw them remove somebody from the venue for it. It didn't exactly create the relaxed atmosphere you want when watching a show. Nevertheless, though, it was a truly amazing show. But I would be interested to hear your thoughts on this matter. Back to Desperado. My absolute favourite song from this album has to be the title track, Desperado, which... When they performed it back-to-back with Doolin Dalton in 2014, actually reduced me to a quivering mess of tears because, oh my goodness, it was just sensational. Desperado tells the story of a gambler who's really down on his luck. 
I recall reading somewhere that the song is based on a true story of a friend of Don Henley. Don't you draw the Queen of Diamonds, boy. She'll beat you if she's able. You know the Queen of Hearts is always your best bet. Now it seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table, but you only want the ones that you can't get. Desperado is the first song that Glenn Frey and Don Henley wrote together. And well, thank goodness they did, is all I can say, because they went on to be one of the most monumental songwriting duos of all time. One of the most famous songs that Glenn Frey and Don Henley ever wrote, this time with the help of Don Felder, that isn't on this album, was Hotel California, which honestly, I would be very surprised if you hadn't heard it at least once in your life. This album is one of my favourite albums to listen to when I'm having a bit of a slow day in my office and I need to perk myself up a bit. Although it isn't a particularly perky album, I put it on, have a good sing-along and suddenly the album has finished and so has all of the work that I needed to do. Isn't it great when that happens? I'm curious, which album do you listen to when you need perking up? Get in touch and let me know. Stranger of the Week, could it be you? With the unexpected change in the weather, I've spent some chill time sitting in coffee shops, drinking copious amounts of hot chocolate and people watching. One of my favourite pastimes, as you will know if you've read any of my previous thoughts put to paper or heard any of the previous episodes of Proper Charlie. As you may know, I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of my time travelling around for work and for pleasure as well. I sometimes find myself in really wonderful places, such as Paris, or in the south of France where my family live. Perhaps Spain, maybe even Greece, or sometimes I'm just back on the Wirral where I grew up. To indulge in people watching UK version, I take a short train journey to the city centre. I love to sit outside a coffee house, watching people going about their business, backwards and forwards, most in a hurry, with worried faces, I have to admit. What occurred to me this week was the huge difference between people watching in France and people watching in England, especially when I've stopped off for a coffee. It will make sense very shortly. You see, in Paris, people have the same idea as myself, sitting outside a coffee house watching people passing by most not even knowing they're being watched. The bizarre thing is that in England it's much the same, except that most people walking by, particularly mothers pushing prams, are actually drinking coffee themselves. It seems in the UK you can't walk anywhere unless you have a cup of coffee in one hand and your mobile in the other. It makes me wonder why they don't find the time to chill out like me and enjoy a nice cup of decent coffee in a decent cup. That's what they do in France, after all. I'm sure it will catch on in the UK soon, 
After all, it took us years to have croissants for breakfast instead of cornflakes. I realised this week that it's time that the UK caught up on the chill-out front and learned a lesson from the French. It was Napoleon who said, We are a nation of shopkeepers. I think it's time we became a nation that learned to enjoy a decent cup of coffee, sitting at a table, enjoying my interesting pastime of finding someone I would love to get to know and chat with, instead of strolling along the street, dribbling coffee down the front of your jumper. Why do so many people do that? Surely it's more relaxing and enjoyable to sit down and drink coffee rather than scolding oneself with it whilst walking a million miles an hour, trying to get to places and updating social media profiles or whatever these busy-looking people are trying to do on their phones, at the same time as narrowly avoiding walking into each other or various inanimate objects. The other week it was a woman that caught my eye at a bar. This week, it was a really nice guy in a coffee shop who was wearing a smart suit, no socks, and I really liked him. I knew straight away what I would buy him for Christmas. Yes, socks. We chatted for a little while. He was on his way to a job interview at a big accounting firm in the centre of town. I really hoped they gave him the job so that, at the very least, since I probably wouldn't be seeing him again, he could actually buy himself some socks. Another stranger passed through my life this week and made me realise it won't be long now before it's time for Christmas shopping. That's a scary thought. What's the best or worst Christmas present you've ever been given? Get in touch and let me know. Literally Literature, my weekly adventure through the literary world. For me, my best Christmas present was my Kindle. I'm visually impaired and my Kindle makes reading so accessible for me. I can read whatever I like, whenever I like, without any difficulty whatsoever, which is a fantastic thing when you read as many books as I do. It was bought for me by my grandparents. The last proper Christmas we had with Grandad before Alzheimer's kicked in hard. And so, as well as the fact I love reading so much, I'll always cherish my Kindle for the sentimental reasons as well. This week, I've read a fantastic book called All My Mother's Secrets by Beezy Marsh. This book popped up on my recommendations in the Kindle store, and it sounded interesting. It's the true story of Beezy's great-grandmother, Annie Austen. The story begins when Annie is 12, just before World War I ends, and it follows her difficult childhood working in the slum laundries of Acton, dubbed Soapsud Island, with her mother and other families. I found this book to be so powerful. The historical accuracy is absorbing and it really pulls you in, so that you really feel like you're right there studying those hot, damp laundries with all those overworked young girls. You can almost feel the cracks in your hand where the skin is chapped and split from being in the chemical water all day, and the burning sensation as the hands are plunged back into the water to continue washing the clothes from the big houses. 
You feel the pavement under your feet as you run through the streets celebrating the end of the Great War. The true joy and elation radiates from the book, as though it were written by someone who was really there. It's truly one of the best written books I've read in a long time, and I loved every word of it. The first chapter describes in detail the difficulties that Annie faced daily, and it isn't until towards the end of the chapter that we find out how old Annie is. It's shocking when you realise she's only 12, and it really pulls into focus how privileged we all are today compared to what our grandparents and great-grandparents went through. A 12-year-old girl working long days in the laundry with her mum, financially supporting her family and starving herself to feed her younger brother just wouldn't be allowed in England today. And it's really shocking that it was allowed just 100 or so years ago. In fact, the whole of the book is a wonderful story about the harshness of life back then and what they all endured so that we could have a freer world today. The book follows Annie through her life as she deals with the daily struggles of growing up, as she tries to find her place in the world, falls in love and tries to gain a better understanding of who her father really was and what really happened to him because from the start of the book all we know is that he died in the war. We live vicariously through Annie as her quest to find answers and her place in the world leads her to the bright lights of Covent Garden and a charming little pub full of all manner of West End stars and stagehands, giving Annie a hint of excitement in an otherwise tumultuous existence. The real story of what happened to Annie's dad is a heart-wrenching one. This book is a real emotional roller coaster, told beautifully by a truly fantastic writer, and I'm so glad that it was recommended to me. My overwhelming emotion whilst reading this book was one of gratitude. Gratitude that Annie and her family, as well as so many millions of others like them, endured for our freedom, and gratitude for Beezy Marsh for sharing her family's wonderful story. I highly recommend this book to everyone. It's a wonderful book that tells a wonderful story that will captivate and enchant any reader. That's about it for this week's episode of Proper Charlie. I've had a fantastic week this week. I've spent a lot of time outside photographing the lovely colours of autumn. This is my favourite time of the year. I love watching the colours change everywhere, develops a really cosy feeling and everywhere you turn is absolutely sensational to look at. I'd love to hear about your week and what you've been up to, as well as your thoughts on anything I've discussed in this week's episode. So why not head over to Twitter at PropperCharlieM or Instagram PropperCharliePodcast and tell me all about your thoughts. <laughs>